He's 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 just he's my favorite. Uh, uh, Jim Arnold, the guy that had the um, surgery, he gave me a, a big fat book on on David, and it's just a fascinating book. So Martin's going to be in the pulpit for me in August for about three four weeks, and because uh, I'm real busy at work, so uh, he'll be filling in for me. And that four weeks, I don't plan on preparing one sermon. I'm just going to dive into that book and spend four weeks reading that. So that's exciting for me. So let's pray, and we'll look at Psalm seven today. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful yet again this Sunday that we can come into this room, into this community, Lord, and share our, our love of you uh, with each other, uh, the fellowship of the, the church family, Lord, the, the, the greeting that we have, all centers around you, Lord, and we're just grateful for that. We're grateful for this word, this text in Psalm 7 today, Lord, that as we launch into it, Lord, that we see you in it, that we, we take something from this and we use it in our community this week to share the love of you with those around us. Lord, we love you. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Psalm 7, it's a long psalm. One of the things with Spurgeon, uh, with his preaching style, is he preached like I like to preach the expositional preaching. You go, you know, next week you know what verse I'm going to be in because I left off at this one. Well, he did it a little bit different. He would take a text. Every week it would be different. But he would take that text and, and just run through it and, uh, and, and lay out that text. Uh, this one is a long one. Uh, I don't think we're going to do it a line-by-line service, but I want us to pull out of this a magnificent picture of our Lord, a magnificent picture of a man, David, as we've seen for the last three or four weeks, that's just being chased and chased and chased and, and run into the ground by people around him. And through these things, David stays on task. He knows that his Lord is in control, uh, but he's not afraid to say, Lord, I'm not sure. And uh, that's, I like that. So we'll start with the top, the, the header. The Lord implored to defend the psalmist against the wicked. A shagun of David, that's a, uh, a meditation. It's, it's a meditation of David that he wrote. In which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hand, if I have rewarded evil to my friend or have plundered him, who without cause was my adversary? Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up your, yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the people encompass you, and over them return on high. The Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is my God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness and he conceives mischiefs and bringing forth falsehoods. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. And has fallen into the hole he had made. His mischief will return upon his own head. And his violence will descend upon his own pate. 
I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise in the name of the Lord Most High. That was David's meditation. That, you know, we had the last couple weeks, he goes to bed praying, gets up praying, he's got people chasing him, people are still chasing him, and he's, he, he's glorying in the fact that he knows that God has not abandoned him. And he's bold enough to stand up and say, Lord, hear my prayer, hear my prayer and get me out of this pickle I'm in. Lord, oh Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. David didn't take refuge anywhere else. David didn't say, I see this crowd coming, and I'm going to take refuge in a bigger army, or I'm going to take refuge in a cave and hide until they go by. He said, I'm going to take my refuge in you, my Lord. And that's so applicable to us today. No matter what is coming at us, no matter what, what we feel like adversaries are chasing us, whatever life events, whatever family events, whatever job events, health events, whatever it is, seek refuge. In the Lord your God. He loves you. He loves you that he wants you to come forth and seek him and cling to him and take refuge and comfort in your Father God in heaven. If, you, you know, if we think that we can do it on our own might, our own power, it, it's not going to happen. It just won't happen. And he says, oh Lord, my God, it's in you that I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. So take refuge in the Lord and he will deliver you. And you can take that right down to your life now. The situation that you're in, take refuge in the Lord and he will rescue you. He didn't send his son to the cross on Calvary to let you suffer in, in, in anguish and just die on the vine. Take refuge in him. He loves you. He sent his son for you. Don't cheapen that. Don't, don't discount that. And I'll, I know we as believers, we, you know, that might even sound like a harsher way of saying it, but I know we don't discount it. But sometimes when you're, you're in the fog of depression and you're in the fog of lamenting and you're in the fog of the crazy kids are driving you nuts, you lose sight of that. There is a greater picture, and that is the Lord God Almighty loves you. He will see you through this. Lord, I take refuge in you. Deliver me. Or he will tear my soul like a lion. That's a pretty dramatic thing. But think of who David was, a shepherd. He was up in the fields, overlooking the fields, and he sees his little sheep and his lambs and the goats running all over the place. And a lion comes out of the bush and grabs them. This shepherd saw these pictures. And I'll tell you last night, this is true. Uh, we have a big giant dog. His name is King. He's a great Pyrenees. Wonderful dog. I had a crazy dream last night that he was eaten by a lion. I didn't eat too late in the evening, you know, I just, but I, I was thinking about this. And it was a, it was a gory, gory dream about my, my lovely dog, King. And that's what David is saying. If, Lord, if, you don't, if I can't take refuge in you, if, I can't, if you can't deliver me, he, my adversary, Cush the Benjamite, he is going to tear my soul like a lion dragging me away, and there is none to deliver. I was the shepherd. I saw my lamb down there, and I couldn't save him. I couldn't get to that lamb. And he saw that what happened. And he says, Lord, if you don't intervene in my life, that's me. I'm that little lamb that's going to get torn up by Cush. He will tear my soul like a lion. He will drag me away while there is none to deliver. And then there's three charges here against David. Back in Second Samuel, we talked about a few weeks ago, I told you to look at chapter 16. That picture of all those people chasing after him now, they're accusing him with three different things here. 
Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, if I have done the things that they're accusing me of, and it's kind of a rhetorical statement. David said, I didn't, but if I did do these things, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friends, or have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. If I've done these things, Lord, let it happen. But I'm standing before you as a righteous man saying, I did not do this. I didn't take advantage of my friends. I didn't return evil for good. And I didn't take the spoils that belonged to another. He, they, they were accusing David of all these things. And he said, Lord, I didn't do any of that. And if I did, let him, let him tear me like a lion. Let, me, let, me, let him bury me in the dust. But God, I haven't done any of this. If there is injustice in my hands, thought about that is if there is injustice in someone's hands, the Lord will deliver them. The Lord will take care of that injustice. When we see 200 million babies ripped from the womb and they're called fetuses, not babies, that's injustice. And that will not go unanswered for. I always follow that up with, if you're a mother and you've done that, and I'm not making eye contact with him because this if you've done that, it's not the unpardonable sin. It's not. But the Lord will vindicate. When people, you saw that, that video this week, I'm sure, of that, that Planned Parenthood lady drinking a cocktail over a salad, talking about selling baby parts. Not fetus parts, baby parts. They're careful to go in there with the forceps so they don't damage the liver because that's worth a little bit extra. The Lord God Almighty looking down from heaven, is going to crush that. It may go for a time. It may go for a season. It may have gone since Roe v. Wade. But there will be a time when he's on his throne looking down at this and he says, enough. If there is injustice in my hand, if I have rewarded evil to my friends, if my friends have done something good to me and I decided I'm going to do something evil to them, Take me. Crush me. He didn't do that. When, when Cush the Benjamite was in Second Samuel looking down and cursing and spitting upon David, David didn't retaliate and pick up a stone and throw it back. If I have rewarded evil to my friends, or if I have plundered him who without cause was my adversary, if I have taken what isn't mine just because he's my adversary, Lord... I'm, my righteousness is gone. I haven't done that. But let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory to the dust. If I've done any of this, Lord, I'm being honest with you. Let this happen to me. And it didn't. How many times we see in the, in the Psalms, David pulled out of fires. How many Caught in adultery. And he's, he's, he's pulled out of the fire. And there he goes in verse 6. And this is, this is an honest man's cry. This is a man that's looking at his situation and saying, where is God in all of this? This is, this is a man that's looking about his kingdom that's falling. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Get up off your throne, Lord, is what he's saying. That's an honest statement from a man. 
Get up off your throne. Where are you in this situation? <laughs> I think of that when I turn on Fox News and I see what's going on in this world. Arise, Lord. This is the time. But you know what? His grace and His mercy over the situation. He's waiting maybe one more day for one more sinner to repent and come to faith in Him. I don't know. If I was in charge, we wouldn't be having this. I would have arisen and crushed. I'm not God. Arise. Get up, Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries. Lord, do something about this. And arouse yourself. For me, you have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the people encompass you. Let the church encompass the Lord. This is as applicable today as it is here. Let the church let the, the, the church universal, the, the great Catholic, the universal church, not the Catholic church, but the, let the Christian community embrace our Lord. Let it, and again, you're probably thinking, I'm embracing them, so go easy on me. But, you know, there's so many in the church today that, that, that we're Christian because we go to church on Sunday, or we're Christian because I was baptized at seven years old at, you know, St. Louis Church in, in Covina, whatever it might have been. That doesn't, that's not what it is. It's when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He is your Lord and Savior, and your life is redirected and you act in a different way. When, when people look at you and they see there's something different, you're, you're not like one of those guys. You're, you're, there's a, something about you that's unique, and that's your love of the Lord Jesus Christ and being able to stand up and say things, being able to, to say truth without being offensive. You know, it's no point in being an offensive Christian. But let the assembly of the people encompass you. And over them return on high. David says, you've abandoned the community, the, the church, the synagogue. You've abandoned us. Get off the throne. Do something. In my prayer life, I, I don't talk to God that way. I would be afraid that the walls would come in on me. Right? But when I'm reading David's words, I get it. I, I understand this. You know, we've all got stories in our life that you can get up here and you can tell. And I could tell a couple of them. And my righteous indignation should have been stoked a few times. And I had the power to throw the lightning bolt down. I should have done it. But I didn't. Because I know he is in charge. And I know that he will vindicate me if I'm a righteous man. But how do you ask for the Lord to vindicate you when you, you might try to vindicate yourself? When you might take that stone and say, no one's looking. I'll pay that bum back. The Lord will vindicate you. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on the goal of Christ and Him crucified. Let the assembly of the people encompass you and the Lord and over them rule on high. The Lord judges the peoples. He judges these guys. He will vindicate and He will judge. And we think, we look up in heaven, we see a grandfatherly picture of a, of a God, and so he's sleeping somewhere. He's not paying attention to what's going on in this world around us. He's just a gray-haired old guy letting things happen. He's not just a gray-haired old guy letting things happen. The Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and the integrity that is in me. Now, Lord, look at me. I'm being honest. I'm, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man of righteousness. I didn't do any of these things, Lord, and I'm appealing to you for you to intervene. 
Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. It will come to an end. When we see these things going on in our society, when we see the, 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 the mess that this world is in, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. But establish the righteous. God is looking down from heaven and he's looking at the evil in this world and it will come to an end. It will come to an end when he comes back again. It will come to an end when he decides that that is the moment it needs to stop. It will come to an end when he's going to say, enough. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds of men. God tries our hearts. God is looking down at our situation, in your personal situation, in the world situation, and he's judging how we react to it. When I see evil going on around and I turn my back on it, or when, I, when I'm up at the pulpit and I'm, and I'm getting to that part where I, I, it fires me up when I think about those 250 million babies, and I think, I can't say that because I said it last week, and I said it a couple weeks ago, and maybe I might hurt somebody's feelings because in a group, there's somebody always affected by these things. I, I can't back off of that and say, okay, I don't want to hurt Martin's feelings because I said something about this particular said last week. When it's in the text and when it's part of the, 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 the sermon, I can't back off of that. I'm not picking on anyone. For the righteous God tries the hearts and the minds my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. God is a judge. What is he going to be judging? He's going to be judging the evil that's going on in this world. He's going to be judging our actions. He's going to be judging things around us. He's not ignoring it. He's, not, he's going to judge it. And that's a scary thought. When I get to the pearly gates and St. Peter's waiting there for me, Right. If God's going to if he's a righteous judge and he's going to judge me based on my righteousness, I don't stand a chance. But when I get there, you know what he's going to judge me on? Who do I say that his son is? Who do I say that Jesus Christ is? That's it. Do I know Christ? Have I accepted Christ? Is Christ my Lord and my savior? He's not going to ask me Did I did I. But, you know, stuff the ministry pigs. Did I put extra bonuses in the, in the tithing box? Did I, did I buy lunch for Martin that Sunday? You know, not, none of that matters. Who do you say my son is? And that's my pastoral prayer for a small congregation or, you know, speaking to 700 kids. I don't care. I don't know everybody's situation. If you find yourself today and you're not sure that you're in that spot where you can say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior... You will be judged. My prayer as a pastor is that you, you, you get that question right. You will be judged. Every knee will bow. Who do you say that he is? God, the just judge. And a God who has indignation every day. That big, loving, white-haired grandfather God in heaven has indignation Every day. At what? 
the same things we do. When we look out there on the news and we have indignation about that, he's not neutral in heaven. He is a God that has indignation every day. And when he says enough is enough, that's the day that's going to stop. And if he calls us home to glory on that day, it will stop. And if he just intervenes, he's waiting for that one more repentant sinner to come forth from whatever that evil situation is, that's when he's going to do it. If a man, verse 12, if a man does not repent, he, God, will sharpen his sword and he has it bent, his bow, and he has made it ready. The picture David is trying to paint here is God has this bow and it's launched and he's ready to let it go. Not when David wants it to go. Not when I hope it goes. When he, the judge, wants it to go. And if he pulls back a bow, and this is figurative speaking speaking by David, but if he pulls this weapon back and he fires this weapon, the God that created this universe, the God that sent his son from heaven to earth for us, he ain't going to miss. That sword and that spear and that arrow are going to be true and they're going to hit their target. He will not miss. I don't shake in my boots about that one. I'm post that. I have repented. I have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I have accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. And I will be judged based on Him and His righteousness. Dear church, be that. Be that confident. Be that bold. Be that strong in your faith that you know if your time is near, if, you're t- if, you're, if you will be judged. But please be judged upon Christ's finished work on the cross. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to... Lord, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not a pretty good guy. Let me try to hit some of these notes. Acts 20, 21. Now, this is Paul. He's saying goodbye to Ephesus. He's wrapping up his, his missionary journey, his, his pastoral roles, his, his church events. And he calls the elders of the church together. And verse 17, that elders of this church, it's, it's, it is the older guys. It's uh, Presbyterios, the, the elder, the white-haired guys. He's called us together. The guys that have been working with Paul side by side. And he says, when I, when I come to him, and he said to them, you yourselves know, verse 18, from the first day that I stood foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. You saw me every day. You saw how I acted. You saw how I interacted. You saw the message I preached. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Judeans. How I did not shrink away from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. He didn't back off. He kept on point. He kept on point of Christ Jesus and him crucified. Verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both the Jews and the Greeks of what? Repentance towards God. That was his first message. (coughs) Repent. Stop in your tracks. Do an about face. And, key word in between there, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
you can't have the way I read this. You can't have faith in Lord Jesus Christ if you have not repented, because you're not a, you're not a believer. You you can't come to faith in something that you have that you don't believe in. So you have to stop in your tracks. You have to repent towards God the Father, accept Jesus Christ the Son by faith, not by works, not by extra stuff, not by doing more, not by doing less. Just stop, repent, and face Christ. And His grace and His mercy will overpour on you and overshadow your life. Repent and turn to Christ. And now behold, bound in the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen there. He's saying goodbye to his friends in Ephesus. He calls the elders together. He knows his time's running short. And he gets the message out. Repent. Who's he talking to? The elders. That's, that's interesting. Elders are like pastors. He's talking to the pastors and saying, the only way this is going to work is if you repent and turn to Christ. Don't forget that, elders, when I'm gone. That means in my mind that some of these pastors, some of these elders may have forgotten that. And Paul says, I'm on my way up, baby. But I want you to remember this. Repent. Go to Acts 26. This is Paul, he's before Agrippa. He's given his defense. And he's standing in front of the king. The guy that's got the power in his hands, right? To let Paul go or not to let him go. So, King Agrippa, you're a great guy. I didn't really preach the gospel. I really didn't stir up the crowds. You're a good king and I'm going on my way. I'm wrapping up my ministry and I just want to retire in peace. King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. King Agrippa is looking from his throne down at Paul. Paul saying, I did not back off. I did not change message to save my skin. But I kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the regions of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent. He had a whole list of them. And Agrippa was in that list. Repent before it's too late. And turn to God. Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If you've repented and you turn to God and you've accepted Christ, your deeds are going to show it. Your, your life, your, your, your Christian walk will bear fruit that you have repented and turned to faith in Christ. If, you, if, if, if you're living today... The way you lived 10 years ago, and you've been a Christian for that 10 years, there's something, you got to check yourself. you got to check yourself. There should be, and, and I'm not a works guy, but there is, there is a change in a person when we come to faith in Christ. And I, I don't say that to mount more guilt on your plate. I just say that to, you have to have fruit. And we talked about that back in March. Uh, from John, you know, there has to be fruit in your life. If there's no fruit, he is going to come along and trim that, <coughs> that vine. So, King Agrippa, all the people I listed, that they need to repent and they need to turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. 
For this reason, some of the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. When I told them they needed to repent, they said, we were too good. We don't need no repenting. They wanted to kill me when they should have repented. And Paul's heart was crushed for his brethren. His goal was to reach his Jewish brethren. He didn't want them to perish. And it was so simple. Just repent and press on. Go to Romans 10.9. Okay, that's why it didn't make sense. That's 10. So here we have Paul. He's talking to the Romans. And he's telling them that the faith brings upon salvation is the theme of his chapter 10. Verse 8 says, but but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. And here's the tricky combination. Now, Paul's going to lay out. This is the formula. These are the hoops you have to jump through. If you confess with your mouth, that's an easy one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. No hoops, no schemes, no plans, no extra stuff. Confess, believe. So you have a a kind of a a threefold event here. You, you, You repent. You stop dead in your tracks and you repent and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. You confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, I repent, forgive me. And then the tricky part is to believe in your heart. And there's two sides to that coin of believing in your heart. As a pastor, I want to make sure that you understand that if you've repented, turned to, to Christ in faith, and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that if that's happened to you, don't have the fear of not being saved. That, that's a that's a heavy one. I, when I lived at, at the, on site at the last church I was at, I, I lived in the parsonage, and I got more knocks on the door for that one question I think than anything. Am I really saved? And I, I don't know. I, I've never met you. I don't know your life story. I don't know, but let's chat. You know. And there's so many times that people are believers, but they think they've done the unforgivable sin. You know, I claimed three kids on my taxes instead of one, you know, whatever that might be. Am I really saved? You know, I'm such a bad person. You don't understand my life, Mike. I'm glad I don't have to. He does. And it says right here, repent, believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth you're saved. You can't be unsaved. You can't, God can't look down and say, well, you know, you're really not good enough for me. You're not really on the A-team. You will. And in the original, this is a real definitive statement. This is not, there's no get around it with word parsing. You will be saved. For with the heart, the person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. You believe it in your heart, you repent, you believe it in your heart, you confess with the mouth, and you are saved. Relish that. Live in that. Love that. That's a powerful place to be. He loves you. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 
we'll wrap it up pretty close to on time. Okay, talking to the Corinthian church in verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, how do you get into Christ? Repent, believe, confess. Okay, so if you're in that position, what are you? You're a new creature. You're no longer that old person. You may have some residue. You may have some leftover sin that you have to deal with. You might have memories. You might, you know, you can't change some things in the past. But you're not that person anymore. You're not that creature anymore. You are a new creation in Christ. Not a new creation to put on your your jacket and pull up your own bootstraps and move on. You're a powerful man. You're a powerful woman. You did it on your own. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. When you're a new person in Christ, your trespasses aren't what is on the chit board. It's who do you say Christ is? And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He has made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. God made his son, Jesus Christ, to be sin. And the picture of this, when I was studying it last night too, was Christ wasn't just given the sin. Wasn't, the, the sin wasn't just put on Christ. But the text here says that he, he, was, he made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin on our behalf. Not just to carry it, and not just to take it, but actually, doesn't that sound like he turned his son to sin? That's the reading. And so they who beg that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God had to take his son and, and turn all the sin of the world on the weight of his son, on the two, three nails holding him to the cross, holding all those sins. And at any time we know he could have snapped his fingers and said, enough. But he didn't. He stayed there. That, is, that, that needs to be buried down in there too. That Christ stayed there for you. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't try to do extra stuff. Don't try to do more. Don't try to do better. It doesn't get any better than that. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Don't put it off till you get out to the car. Don't put it off another minute. This day, this hour, this moment, if you are in a spot that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you don't have to come up here and parade yourself, you just set in your mind what was in the text, you repent. Lord Jesus, I repent. I'm so sorry for my sin. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I'm a sinner. You are my Lord Receive me and believe it in your heart. And as quick as you believe it in your heart, that moment you're saved. That's powerful. 
You don't have to wait a week. You know, maybe I can't baptize you until three Sundays from now. Don't worry about that. Get right with God today. Let today be the acceptable hour. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Even for us these Christians in here that have been Christians forever, repent. Turn to him in faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I was saved, but I'm a sinner. Forgive me of this. And behold, he will. And then you have the faith and the confidence and, and, and everything that goes with that to stand up and say that I am saved. And I'm not worried about what, what's going to happen down the road. He will receive me based on his glory, not on mine. He will receive me, as David said, on his righteousness, not mine. Let that sink in and think about that. Take this page this week and look at these at your own private quiet time. Look at those texts and see how applicable they are to your life. See where, they, where you can, if you're having a problem, if, if, if you're just not real sure, meditate on these four this week. And my takeaway as your pastor is to rest securely if you're a believer in Christ. If you're not, my job as a pastor is to gnaw at that little sore and keep reminding you, don't wait, don't put it off. Today is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray.